This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey everyone, this is Patrick Donahoe. You're listening to the Wealth Standard Radio. It's a great morning to be alive, and it is episode 151. What are we going to talk about today? I have an awesome guest, Christian Allen. Christian, what's up, dude? Not much. Glad to be here with you. Okay. Uh, Christian's one of the guys, and uh, you know, I just sprung this on him. We're going to talk about somewhat of a complex topic. It's going to be uh, how to invest institutionally for free, and uh, we'll get into that, uh, kind of what that means, and uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy. But wanted to make a few announcements. First off, don't forget about the Cashflow Wealth Summit. We have that coming up in just uh, a few weeks, and we have thousands of people that are already registered, uh, and it's going to be awesome. Some of the speakers are uh, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, also all the Rich Dad Advisors are speaking. We have a really, really cool company that's speaking uh, that I think you guys are going to love called Royalty Exchange. Get this, dude. So this is to you, to you Christian. So Royalty Exchange, what they do is they go out and they find like movie producers or sound engineers or uh, a music producer and they all get like royalties off of like a song mm-hmm. or a movie. So this is an exchange where they can sell their royalty stream of income or payments. And people can go on there and bid. And they just had like some like killer, you know, killer auction. It's just fascinating, you know, where you, cool. you find, I mean, that nobody considers like, you know, royalties an asset, but you know, in the end it is right. Because it pays a stream of income. It's income for yeah. sure. So anyway, they're going to be speaking. Uh, I think you guys are going to love, love that. We also have uh, an economist called uh, or named Paul Cleveland. And uh, he's a big free market he, uh, economist, and he uh, he, he teaches at uh, a university. I gosh, I can't remember the name of the university off the top of my mind. He's like a real. He, I love him because he has that like southern. It's a southern accent, like a super deep southern accent, but he's funny, and he has like an amazing sense of humor for being an economist. So anyway, he's going to be speaking. We got a lot of others as well. You guys are going to really enjoy it. So go to cashflowwealthsummit.com, cashflowwealthsummit.com, and you can register and. It's free. Uh, it's over the course of two days, June 8th and 9th, starting at 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, but you guys, I, you have a great time. Hope you guys can take off some work. If not, just jump on when you can. But it's free. Cashflowwellsummit.com to register. All right, Christian. Have you been on the podcast before? This is the first time. First time. Here, why don't you get up close to the mic or else yeah. no one's going to hear you. Yeah, that wouldn't you, be you gotta, good. You got you to gotta, gotta teach you some like, uh, yeah, I appreciate like microphone it. etiquette. I am right? uh, I had, definitely I had you, a I had novice your, here. I had you silence your phone so the phone's fine. Yes, and, that, you, and you that's still, been a problem today. And that's the other thing, dude. So when you, have a to- like, when you have a cell phone and you have a nice like the big iPhone, you can't use like the default ringtone. Right. If you're gonna keep it on, it's like you at least like put like some cool That's like eighties eighties rock music on there. Or yeah, something. Michael Jackson, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, or Prince. Well, here's the Prince. Thing. Do Prince. Prince would that would be a nice tribute. <laughs> All right, but it's cool to have you, cool you have you on. Yeah, yeah I so appreciate we, it. I've known you for a number of years now, but you've been in the industry for uh, a long, a long time. Yeah, and just got, over a decade. Yeah, and you have some brain brains uh, up in there. So we're gonna talk somewhat about a complex issue. We're gonna make it really simple and uh, and practical because in the end. You know, these are benefits that you get from uh, from working with us and using some of the strategies that we teach. And uh, really, it's it's uh, some, something that is very easy to, to do, uh, but yet I think the complexity really gets people intrigued, right? So we're going to get complex. Complexity is like, you know, for me, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's in, 
silence my phone. But complexity for <laughs> for me is, you know, sometimes it, when it's an interesting topic or when it's relevant to me, like I can get super, super complex. But in the end, I think complexity is used oftentimes to confuse us, right? Use us to no mislead question. us. I mean, you look at like, you know, political bill, you know, you know, bills that are passed, laws that are passed that are hundreds, thousands of pages long, right? And, you know, you have some famous stuff by Nancy Pelosi that says, you know, we'll, once it's passed, we'll read it. You know, that, that's the thing. Sure. This complexity just kind of, you know, it polarizes us. Hey, before we finish, before we go into the complexity too much, I just want to, can I throw out a shameless plug? Sure. So you mentioned that I've been in the industry for 10 years. Yeah. I have been, and uh, not a lot of that time has been with Paradigm. Yeah, maybe oh, you've only been here a year and a half. Yeah, year and a half, maybe two years. Yeah, and uh, you have a big brain up there, but you have a thick so skull sometimes. I want. Yeah, I'm sure I do. <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to mention was just the fact that Paradigm is really unique, super yeah. unique, mm-hmm. um, and in a good way. Just from my experience being with several of the large mutual insurance companies, which are incredible organizations. Um, Obviously, we utilize those companies, and they're super important to us. But uh, the actual educational process that Paradigm uses is just a really fantastic thing. So, this is my shameless plug. That, oh, you're uh, you're plugging me. You're plugging, I'm plugging Paradigm. Paradigm. We're plugging Paradigm. All right. Oh, I thought you were not gonna, for myself. I thought you were going to be like, um, I have this book and coming out. And by the way, I'm really, I have this, really good. I have this like you know this this juice that if you drink it, all your dreams will come nope, true. No, oh, okay. I'm, I'm so plugging Paradigm. Like, it's. I just wanted to let everyone know I came here because. It's unique, yeah. educationally based. So much stuff of the what of so much of what Paradigm does is different than what you get from an av- from the normal advisor. So that's my shameless plug for the organization, since this is my first time on. Dude, that's so nice of you to do that. My I, pr- I appreciate that. I should do that. I need to do that more often. But uh, actually, on that on that note, we have a new website. So a new website's up. Looks cool. Uh, had a few bugs, you know, but we're working through them. And so you go on there. It's it's uh, it's free to register for that too. Um, there's a number of sections, uh, but you know, if you uh, we have a really cool resource section that has a bunch of articles that we've redone and and uh, some assessments on there. We have a webinar page. We have a lot of cool cool stuff on there. So go check that out. Love to hear your feedback too. Uh, speaking of feedback, you know if you love if you like the podcast, you know refer to a friend. Go on to uh, iTunes and and uh, leave a, a a positive comment. Um, if you you know want to leave a nasty comment, you can just you know email me at patrick at paradigmlife.net and you know complain. And if it's about me, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But but anyway, all right. So let's let's kind of get in. Let's get into this kind of complexity stuff. So you know you you look at you look at our economy. Our economy is like insane, right? And it, you look at you know where we are with interest rates, where we are with debt. Uh, where we are with our government debt, where we are with business debt, where we are with exchange rates, uh, you know, the inter- internationalization of markets, uh, internationalization of central banks. Uh, you, you look at just how complex of a network it is. It's actually kind of cool just to think about, wow, look at how much is working. Every single day, you know, you wake up and all sorts of stuff is just happening, right? You have text messages going through weird networks. You have emails. You have, you know, the Internet. I mean, go back 100 years and try to explain the Internet, right, to anybody, right? It's this Impossible. thing that exists and you put, you type in information. I can barely information. explain it now. Yeah, it's, you know, seriously, it's, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating time to be alive just because of how everything's sure. going on. But at the same time, they're, they're, I think naturally as human beings, we have this tendency to be afraid, right? And I think it really comes from our, you know, our DNA where, you know, the cavemen were trying to protect themselves from woolly mammoths, right? Or saber-toothed tigers or whatever, right? And it's, you know, it's this, it's this we're, we're afraid, we need to protect ourselves, we have this, you know, fight-or-flight mentality. 
And you know, and so I think that really sometimes uh, is is a an over it's an overarching perspective of how we approach things, right? We always approach you know, and I'm speaking generally, but we approach things from the worst worst case scenario. And right now, but I think for the last hundred years, right, it's all you know. If you have that mindset, everything is worst case scenario, right? We're always wow, this could pop here and this could pop here and the market's going to crash. And, you know, we're, we're, we're driving on the road on vehicles and we're all going to crash and die. And, you know, we're flying in the air at, at 10,000 feet and, you know, at 400 miles an hour, everyone's going to die. You know, it, you, you look at, you know, the perspective that you have and you can go back throughout history and there was always the perspective of being afraid, right? Every, you know, all the different innovations, markets, jobs, uh, inventions, whatever. There was always something that, you know, you could pull from that and say, wow, that's scary. And the same thing goes today. There's a lot of, you can, you can turn around and you can look at, wow, negative interest rates. You can look at, you know, tri- a trillion dollars a year in, in deficit spending by our government. Um, you look at politicians, right? And, you know, Donald Trump is now the nominee for the Republican Party. And you look at that and you look, and not, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, but you look at all these different things, you can always put a negative spin on it, right? Why, why could we put a negative spin on Donald Trump? So what are, are you, or unless you're a, are you a Trump fan? Are you a Hillary fan? Are you Bernie? Are you a Bernie fan? Are you a nobody fan? Um, I'm actually one of the very few people in Utah that probably likes Trump more than the average person. Oh, dude, you're gonna and, get total uh, hate mail. You yeah, should, I could. I probably I good said for it out you loud. for not putting your email address out, out there. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. But uh, <laughs> here's the thing: I'm 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 all about the economy, and so you mentioned a lot of these things that are challenges out there. Um, first off, I think a lot of the challenges just come because there's almost everybody has an agenda. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different voices out there coming from different directions, and most of us want most of it is to purchase product or to uh, make a decision. And so, the best way to do that historically is to create fear so yeah. that we do that, right? I mean, yeah. it's kind of the same thing. We oftentimes give up our rights in order to uh, because of fear, yeah. right? Give up rights because of fear. Anyway, I think the other thing, I think the other thing too is is when a person's the only one that's afraid, they feel alone, right? So they get, they they make other people afraid so that they don't feel alone. Which I don't think they would explain it like that, but subconsciously that's what they're doing. Keep going. Yeah, Sorry, I'm sure. No, that's. I think that's a good point. So when I first got into the sales business um, ten years ago, got into this business, it was all about blowing up the prospects island. And I don't think it's changed in a lot of ways. But the whole idea is is that we've got to create the situation where everything in the world is wrong. I think I like your positive spin. I think there's a lot of things that that are really cool that are happening out in the world. That doesn't mean there's no challenges. Obviously. You know, we can't ignore the fact that the government has, you know, $20 trillion of debt and so forth, right? That Medicare, Medicaid and Medicare is a craziness and, <laughs> and uh, you know, spending is out of control. I get it. Like, there's Social Security is a disaster. There's all these things that are challenges, and yet uh, there's a whole lot of opportunities that exist, too. So yeah. just back to that thought, I think that if we can somehow figure out how to look at some of the positive things will realize that there's a lot of opportunities that go with the challenges that exist. Yep, and that's and that's where, you know, there are there are always opportunities. Okay, regardless, but you have to identify, you know, the nature of the opportunity, be able to, to quantify it. But one thing that you hit on, which is really profound, and I'm going to segue into, you know, the opportunities that you know that if you do business with with Paradigm and purchase the different products that we recommend, uh, you get as that benefit. I want to go back to something you said about about uh, you know the the tools that we use. And the, and that's really the, I think what separates us is that, you know, we, tools are only as effective as the person that uses them. 
And, you know, I had, you know, and I've, we've been open with about this before, but, you know, we sometimes have clients that will, you know, they'll cancel their policies. They won't start, they won't continue to do business with us. And, you know, really it's, it's, um, it's a function of how they've used, used the product. And that's why, you know, the stock market, I'm indifferent to the stock market because I think the stock market can make people really wealthy. Okay. But it can also bankrupt people, right? All tools have zero value. And they don't move in and of themselves, right? It's really the function of a human being, an individual, that makes them successful or makes them a failure. And, you know, looking at, you know, I had a conversation with a, with a client the other day. And, you know, they're always looking for this, I, I, well, I want this and I want this and I need to buy a property because it produces cash flow. And I'm like, well, why do you have to, why do you have to produce cash flow? Well, I, I just do. I'm like, okay, well, do you need the income? Like, no, I have plenty of income. I'm like, okay, well, then why are you buying it? Well, that's what that person told me to do, that I have to buy a property that produces cash. I'm like, well, well why are they voices. saying that? Yeah, it's like one of those things where you, you look at why we do cert, certain things, um, but then it's also, you know, what are we doing and what is the end result that we want to accomplish by doing it? And that's where, you know, a, a lot of our education comes in because, you know, we, we sell products, but at the same time, you know, we, I think we sell solutions and products aren't really part of a solution unless a person has an, a semblance of, of education. And that's where, you know, again, the education side of things, I try to over-educate because, because, you know, morally speaking, you know, d- being able to sell something, you always have to uh, provide a value proposition. And if you're receiving more value than the person that is buying from you, then there's something wrong. And that's where going above and beyond and really creating this, this mindset, you know, I would say in the end, is it really, you know, the way in which we set up these products that, that cure people? No, I don't think it's that. I really think it's the mindset that's created because of them doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, so we talk a lot about system. We talk a lot about system. And and the reason is because you've got to utilize it in order for it to be most effective. Um, for example, regardless of the type of product or policy that we're using, it has to be done inside of a certain system in order for it to be really effective. Now, there's some cool things that it does all by itself, right? So if you're just looking to get some, you know, a four or five percent tax-free return, then a well-funded whole life policy can accomplish that. Mm -hmm. But you can accomplish a whole lot more if you actually utilize, sorry, Patrick's fixing my mic, come on, so that way you can hear me better. Anyway, so again, it just goes back to knowing how to utilize the actual product and system to ultimately accomplish maximum benefit yeah well and, and that's the other thing too it's like okay maximum benefit but benefit for what it's like okay why do you want to return well uh because i need a return why do you need a return you really have to look at the why behind it and what yeah, you're, what people are trying to accomplish right and in, in the end you know it may not be the right the right thing for you it may be the right thing for you uh doing nothing might be the right thing for you it's it's more of like you know you, you look in the end of of what advisors roles should be and it's really to solve to solve problems but in the beginning, it's not. You have to identify what it is and, and identify what a person is trying to accomplish. And honestly, with the experience uh, that, that even me personally, I don't know what I want with everything. Right? I don't. Sure. I, you know, really breaking it down, like, well, what, I do, what do I? What do I want with you know for my kids? What do I want for you know my business, my marriage, my you know what what, what am I trying to? What end result am I looking for? And once we do that, when you know through our system and through our process, then we can reverse engineer the way in which we can accomplish that. But if you don't know what that is, right? If it's an income, you want retirement. Well, it, 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 
there's a lot of you know there's a lot of things that go into really helping a person discover their path where they want to go and then helping them get there well it's kind of so. it's living too right it ha- it, those things are always changing yep. one of the things that that just gets to me as a, just as a, as an individual as people who can never change who can never anyway point is is uh, we we make those decisions we create five year plans or ten year plans or year long plans and yet uh, it has to be has to be in context with what's going on at the time. And yeah. Certainly, some of those things can change. Yeah. And so uh, I think the combination of making and setting the goals, knowing why we're setting them, just understanding what that dynamic is, and then being willing to revisit those from time to time in order to make sure it's fitting in line with whatever is going on with yeah. life at the point. And this is, a good way, this is a good way to segue into this idea of institutional investing. Right, because the, what I mean by that is an in, an in, an insurance company. Insurance company is an institutional investor. They have the most amount of cash flow, tons and tons of liquid liquid assets, and they look for opportunities. Now, the reason why I say this is a perfect segue is because do insurance companies know what their mission is? Right? Do they know what they're trying to accomplish? Right? They do all. And sure, mutual yeah. companies, their their agenda, right? Their mission, in a sense is to represent their owners, right? And their owners are specific policy owners. And they're basically trying to produce uh, results, returns, uh, make investments in the end to to meet the obligations of policy owners and then also be of profit to their owners. Well, here's a question for you, Patrick. Sure. To put you on, I'm not gonna, maybe I will put you on the spot a little bit. We talk a lot about the differences in stock and mutual companies. Yeah. I'm sure that's something you've addressed in a bunch of these uh, episodes, mm-hmm. but... What's the difference between beholding to a stock or to a to a stockholder and being a policyholder? There's no difference. Well, the difference is you're you're beholden to somebody, right? So as far as being beholden to somebody, you're beholden to somebody. That dynamic okay, is stockholder. Any different. You're beholden to them, right? Mutual, you know, the the policy owner, you're beholden to them. Sure. Now now you have to break out the groups, right? And then what provides value to each group? So let's go to the stock owner first, right? What provides value to a stock owner? Okay, it's value in the stock. It's a dividend on that on that value. Mm-hmm. Okay, how are how is the profitability of the company based to determine profitability? How is it determined? Like how so? How do stock owners know right if if the company that they own stock in is doing well? Based on the growth. Okay, growth. Early earnings. Okay, however or, you want to. Put all right, it. so hit on that. So it's growth. It's earnings. Okay, it's, segmented in certain time frames. Okay, so when when do these earnings statements come out? Quarterly. Okay. Now the ownership in stock companies, right? It's based on stock. So that stock is liquid, right? It can be bought and it can be sold. Okay. So if earnings come out, you know, every quarter, right? Then basically there's people that own stock that are looking at what are the earnings? What are the earnings? What are the earnings? Okay. So if the earnings were low, what would happen to the stock? To stock? Let's let's say it came in below expectations. What what do stock owners typically do there? They're not going to buy more. They're not going to buy more, and they might <laughs> and sell. They might sell and they might sell, right? What if they come in higher, right? Then the opposite effect. Opposite effect, right? But that comes out every single quarter. So let's say the insurance company had to make a bet, and, they, and they, they're like, listen, we need to make this decision, and it is going to hurt us for two years. But after two years, we're awesome. Quarterly earnings come out it's not gonna super look negative, good. right? Sure. What's going to happen? Stock's going to tank. Value's going to tank. So really what companies are doing, stock companies – and all, and really, all public companies—they are doing whatever it takes so that their quarterly earnings look good. Therefore, sure. they can't look for the long run; 
they have to look for the short run. So I'll give you an example. So a mutual company, like mutual biggest mutual companies, you know, New York Life, Mass, Mass Mutual, Northwestern Mutual, I'll, I'll use, um, you know, Guardian's one of them. Um, what are some of the other uh, big ones? Pack Life, Penn Mutual. I know. mean, the, the biggest are the New York Life, Penn. And, New York, or and Northwestern. New, Northwestern, yeah. New York Life, Mass, and Guardian. Yeah. Those yeah. are the big four. Yeah. So with these with these companies, right? What they're they're looking for, you know, long term obligations, right? They're they're trying for to sure. meet policy owners, right? They're they send out an annual report, and they also are rated by rating agencies every every year, right? To give in kind of a health rating, mm-hmm. okay? So they can make certain decisions that you know may make an impact in ten years, twelve years, fifteen years, twenty years, right? And they're not going to get sold sold out. Okay, they can make different decisions and better decisions because they're not beholden to these like quarterly reports that stock companies have to come up with. So this is why, you know, you look at, you know, a couple of these companies during the downturn, and actually this has occurred in the last couple of years too, uh, which we'll get into in a second of why, but during the downturn, right, there are some of the, and I've talked about this before, there was one of the companies that bought this, this plot of land for $100 million, just wrote a check, $100 million, right, and turned around and sold, and I think it was like eight or nine parcels, turned around and sold it for over for over a billion, one of them, one, mm. one parcel. It's amazing. Right? So it's one of those things where, you know, when there is disruption, these companies can take advantage of it. Now, there, that on the books, that might have gone as like a, you know, a bad transaction, which would have affected quarterly earnings, okay, had they uh, been a stock company. So they might not have pulled the trigger on that. But they didn't know, because during the downturn, right, everybody was uncertain. But they knew 2009, wow, that is a killer deal. We're going to do it. And then several years later, sold it and made, it, made a killing. And, who's, and who does that profit go to? It goes to specific owners. So the same thing happens with other companies that are struggling, that may be stock-owned, stock where these mutual companies, these institutions can go in and they can say, listen, you know, your book value is you know, $250 million, but you're suffering and your quarterly earnings is going to suck and you're going to get sold out. You know, we're going to buy you at 60% of book or 70% of book or whatever. Now they can go in and they can make those deals. And that might go on until they restructure or reformat. It may go on the books of the company and be a loss if they were had if they had to report it quarterly, but because, you know, it's a long-term venture, they can be insanely profitable with that. I have an example that that kind of goes along with this idea of just differentiating between the two, but uh, before I came to Paradigm I was with the, I was with Guardian for a little while. And uh, I remember being at a management meeting with the president of the company, and they came out, and they were incredibly proud of the fact that an, another insurance company, and I can't remember which one it was, I think it might have been New York Life, decided to purchase a significant debt from Guardian. Mm-hmm. And it was a 50-year time frame. Crazy. We don't think about that kind of thing, right? Because most of the time, when, again, if we're dealing with quarterly earnings, a 50-year time frame, that's not going to work for most people, but the anybody point is, is they said, anybody. okay, we're going to take for, well, for, yeah, for most people for sure, yeah. but a company like New York Life that has so much money, they're mm-hmm. saying, all right, we're trying to make sure that this thing is right for the long term, mm-hmm. and so there's very few institutions that are investing with the with the time frame of a 50-year layout. Yep. So I thought that was cool just because, again, one insurance company buying into another one for a specific rate of return for 50 years, pretty unique. No, it's super. It's super unique. But that, but you go, you go to their ability to make those decisions, and it's because of the business model they've always, they've always had. Now, recently, and it's it's interesting. Most people don't don't even know that this happened. A few because it was it was pushed through kind of the back door as a as a law. But there was a, the Department of Justice, um, the basically the Obama administration 
used kind of a backdoor approach using the Department of Justice and passed a fiduciary ruling on investment advisors. And this wasn't pushed through Congress, wasn't put through the House, wasn't put through the Senate. It had nothing to do with that. They basically pushed something into, into law. Okay, without going through the proper channels. And what's interesting is, and I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this by, by name, um, but there is a, a huge, uh, she was over a big investment bank um, and had a ton of pull. Uh, and basically, you know, big banks lobbied to do this, to basically push people toward robo-advisors, right? Robo-advisors are essentially non-fee-based you know non -fee -based, uh uh, index funds, automatic allocation, okay, into percentage bonds, percentage stock or security or equities. You know, it's 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 you know Tony Robbins pushed that in his book, but she basically has this this one that's that is slated to launch this year, hmm. okay, for women, right? Slated to do women uh, is to target that where they can invest here in the robo and no fees and whatever. But anyway, it's just this DOJ ruling has totally thrown the investment world uh, on its on its side. And I remember, you know, we had an insurance company that was up here uh, the week after that it happened, and they were they were figuring out, you know, what what to do because they had a, re a retirement arm, they had a financial arm. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this? And it took them. Uh, they still haven't gotten through the entire document. That's how long it is, right? And this is an insurance company. Yeah, they, it was they, funny. We got it, like it, statements from every insurance company, which gave an initial statement, and then they basically said, "We'll get back to you with the rest when when they get through it all," because it's thousands sure. and thousands of it's pages. Crazy. It's an, it's insane. Uh, but you know they they basically you know pushed it through. Now most like small shops investment advisors are going to go out of business, and and even big ones, you know, and and there's a lot of the insurance companies that are actually acquiring them at lower you know than than value because the insurance companies can really you know hold uh, some you know they can have insurance and be able to provide initiatives and help to you know comply with this law whatever the heck it is so my point is you know whenever you have this type of disruption right institutional investors can can go in and they can they can get deals and because of how much they're doing you know they can get you know little margins here little margins there which add up tremendously over over time so here's here's the point behind all of this okay right now we are in a freaking crazy economy right we have interest we're, we're, the government interest is trying to you know, increase aggregate demand by decreasing interest rates. They have trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. They're trying to roll it over into new debt. And if they roll it over into higher interest rates, right, they're screwed because they don't have the income to sustain it. Right? So they're basically trying to push forth this policy. And who knows what's going to happen? I mean, Donald Trump came out. What did he, what did he say? Do you he basically what he said? said that. He, he said, said we're we want to restructure the debt. We're, we're going to default. <laughs> yeah. Which, well, he's, and most yeah, people are like, oh, you filed bankruptcy. You're a failure. You're this. It's like... Seriously, he's. I mean, he. I'm. I'm. Regardless of how you feel, I'm not going to get been... onto one side or the other. But it's like you know, when a business, you make a venture, you make a gamble, you make a bet, and you know, sometimes the cards don't stack in your favor, and for you sure. you move on. But that's what bankruptcy court is for, you know. And he understands that. Right now, we are in the U.S. is in a mess. Right? We are. There's. I don't know if there's a way. I don't know what the way is. The, the only way, and really, to pay off the debt, if there's like some massive. You know, asset the U.S. finds, or some intellectual property, or, or you know, Medicare and Social Security. We we you know cure cancer. Or we do all this stuff. stuff the decreases expenses. Who who knows what? Yeah, what's it gonna seems happen. it almost seems insurmountable. Yeah, but it's like w my point is, who knows what's going to happen? But it's going to be insanely disruptive, right? So the point is, during that disruption, where are the opportunities going to be, right? So I've always said, well, either the world's going to 
end and everything's going to implode, right? Or <laughs> life's going to go on. So if life goes on, who are going to be in the best position, right, to take advantage of that? And that's where, you know, you have institutions that you can actually invest in, okay, using an insurance policy. You can invest in and they can, you know, basically make these investments and uh, abide by their fiduciary responsibility. But here's the other amazing thing. Looking at, you know, the perpetual wealth strategy, looking at the ability not only to take advantage of those types of earnings, you now can borrow against those earnings guaranteed and operate on a very tiny infinitesimal level uh, the same way. Right. And that's where, you know, you could take advantage of deals, buy a car under value. Uh, you can, you know, how, how many deals existed, you know, back in 2009 and 2010? People were just unloading. They're unloading, you know, their razor, unloading their boat, unloading a trailer, unloading a piece of real estate, unloading a lot, unloading whatever because they needed money. Right. And that's typically where deals deals happen is when there is disruption. People are freaking out and they just want they want out because they can't deal with the, the fear anymore. And they'll take whatever. And the people with cash, they understand, you know, what they're doing. They're educated. That's when they can clean up. Yeah, and I think that that's what makes what we do unique is, again, that we're putting people in a position where they're able to take advantage of whatever those opportunities are, regardless of when they come or, or um, you know, even though we don't know all of the, the dynamics that could potentially exist, we're going to be as well positioned as possible working with the most stable companies on the planet to, again, make sure that we're in position to take advantage of opportunities. Yeah. I'm one of those people, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but um, the real estate market's obviously a little bit inflated right now, yeah. overvalued. I'm just excited. Uh, this sounds awful, but I'm waiting for it to to, to take a crash. Yeah. For me, that provides a huge opportunity. Yeah. And so, and and again, for for the people that we work with, if they're taking the time to become educated and understand those dynamics, it's going to be an opportunity for them as well. Yeah. So ultimately, again, I think the underlying consensus here is that change and challenges produce equal or greater opportunities. And let's and what I'll do is since we have a few more few more minutes, I want to kind of step back and explain kind of the complexity of why there is going to be disruption. Okay, so you look at really what what the initiative of interest rate policy is, okay, and it's essentially to increase demand. And if there's more money out there in the hands of people, okay, they are going to take that money, and this is just all kind of general theory, they're going to take that money and they're going to spend it. When they spend it, right, prices will, will, will go up, right? And so they want to just continue that ride, continue that ride over and over and over and over again. Uh, but the thing is, you know, the more money that circulates, the more money is allocated more inefficiently because more risk is taken. Okay, when people have excess money, okay, if you have if you have ten bucks in your budget, right, ten dollar, which is you can't spend above or beyond that ten bucks, like you are meticulous, and it's like, dude, you For know, sure, you're yeah. you're cutting coupons, right? You're eating twice a day instead of three times a day, right? You're drinking water instead of you know soda, but when you have excess. Right? What do you do with the excess? You're just like, oh, I'll buy this and I'll buy this and Amazon sure. Prime this and Amazon Prime that, right? So yep. you artif- you know, there's Amazon artificial. Amazon Prime is great, by the way. It, it is. <laughs> we, we talked about Amazon Prime the other day, but it's also an addiction, so you got to be yeah, careful. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> but my, my point is, when we have excess money that's out there, right, it's misallocated. And when it's misallocated, right, it's put into things and it bids up the price on something that should have uh, a, a certain baseline risk, then how is less. Uh, then now has has more risk, right? Because they're buying sure. at, a pre- at a premium, right? So you look at housing. Why is how why 
why are prices why have prices gone up just supply right? and demand it is it's more there's more money in the hands of people right or at cheaper people interest are, rates right if a yeah, person two right if a person can only afford a thousand dollars a month right at a six percent mortgage right now it goes it drops down to four well they can still afford the thousand dollars but they can buy so much more house right right so you look at like what's increasing prices and it's getting up and up and up but as interest rates you know get as low as they can be Right now, you have this huge bloating, like you did in two thousand and seven and two thousand eight. Okay, and and what's going to trigger it? Now, that's the that's the hard know, to say for sure. Who right? knows what that's going to be? That's the black swan. That's the who knows what it's going to be. Okay, but it's one of those things where you know it's inevitable. It's it's a it's the you know Austrian business cycle theory, where if you artificially stimulate the economy with money that didn't exist previously. Okay, and it bids up prices, bids up prices. Now it's going to create, you know, asset bubbles or thing bubbles, okay, which are eventually going to come crashing down depending on the event. So it's interesting just to kind of, you know, experience all of this. But the cycle of things, you can sometimes kind of predict what's going to happen. You say that there's a real estate bubble, and there for sure is, uh, because there's tons of money that's out there, and the money is is chasing lower and lower returns. Right. And I don't know who knows when it's going to happen, what's going to happen. But when the disruption does happen, there's always going to be opportunities. So basically, it's a matter of being prepared. Right. Absolutely. At least to the extent possible. So that that's kind of what I look at, uh, trying to get people prepared to the extent possible for whatever issues come up. Yep. All right. Let's end with, uh, you know, maybe some maybe some tips. So thing is, you know, I think it's the, the easiest default position is to be afraid. Uh, but the best way to really look at opportunities is always going to be from a positive mindset. And that positive mindset is, is completely up to you. Right. And so that's what I would say is, you know, look at, look at the opportunity in everything, look at the opportunity to improve really, you know, every aspect of, of your life. And if you do that, you're going to be happier, more fulfilled. And you know what? One of the best ways to do that is to come to the Cashflow Well Summit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. definitely go to the Cashflow Well Summit. No, anyway, it's a plug plug for that. But but anyway, yeah. Thanks uh, thanks for listening today. It's been awesome uh, to have you on. Um, and uh, next week we will have some more good information. Mostly, we'll probably have a few guests from the Cashflow Well Summit that are gonna start talking about you know some of their uh, their topics. So uh, look forward to uh, that. Fun. All right, everyone. Thanks uh, and have a good week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial.